Well, good morning, everybody. Thanks for coming today. Hope today is a blessing to your soul. I know it will be to mine. I'm glad that I can join you today and uh, gathering around our Lord Jesus. Boy, thank you for the worship again. Amen. What a tremendous setup for our lesson today as we talk about the Lord Jesus. And we're going to continue our series called Our Journey to Jesus as we seek to look at the Old Testament and then figure out how that leads us to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you remember last week, we started this series by looking at in the beginning. We looked at Genesis chapter 1, portion of Genesis chapter 2, and we looked at creation. Today is part two of that lesson. It was We will continue to look at creation only in a different light. And we're going to call today's lesson the supreme one from Colossians chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, turn there. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. This is my favorite passage in the entire scriptures. If you're looking for one to memorize, here you go today. Colossians 1, 15 to 20, and the title of our lesson today is called The Supreme One. Did you ever get a cheap knockoff? <laughs> you ever get a cheap knockoff of something, some, some gift, something you bought, and it wasn't exactly what you wanted, it wasn't exactly the, the right brand? Um, I don't want to offend the people that raised me, but... Uh, <laughs> When I grew up, I watched this little show called MacGyver. And uh, anyone heard of that show? MacGyver had, he was anti-gun, which, you know, I'm not making a political statement. MacGyver just didn't like guns, so he had this thing called a Swiss Army knife. And a Swiss Army knife, I think, was made famous by MacGyver because it had all those little tools on it. You know, the corkscrew and the filing thing. And he would always carry that little Swiss Army knife with him. And I wanted that Swiss Army knife. And I planted, I remember planting that seed in my parents' mind going... Mom and Dad, if you get me one gift this year, make it a Swiss Army knife, because I was a super big MacGyver fan. And I remember thinking, that's the gift. That's the gift I want. That's the one I'm going to get. I'm super excited to get it. Well, Christmas Day came, and I got my Swiss Army knife, kind of. The Swiss Army knife was red. Maybe if you've seen it, it was red. It has the little Swiss logo on there. It's nice and pocketable. Well, the one that I got was black, chunky had no logo on it, had a lot more things on it, which was kind of cool, but it wasn't really the Swiss Army knife. I think it was a Polish Army knife or something like that. It was a knockoff, and uh, it was a good gift, but it was not the gift that I was hoping to get. I wanted the actual Swiss Army knife. So if anyone's looking for a gift idea for Pastor Todd, I still have never had a Swiss Army knife. The MacGyver in me is coming out right now, hoping for that. I know, I know, it's not a big deal, but... Back in the day, I was a little let down by that. I'm going to give you, actually, the top 10 knockoffs. I was going to give you my top 10 knockoffs, and then I went on the internet, and they are gold. <laughs> I couldn't match the ones on the internet, okay? So I'm going to give you the top 10 knockoffs that I found on the internet that I think are hilarious, okay? Now, any of coffee drinkers out there, I know that you guys are coffee drinkers because if we don't have coffee here on Sunday, the, the place will close. Um, who, who really likes Starbucks? Any Starbucks fans out there? Okay, a couple couple Starbucks fans. That's it? Well, I was expecting the whole place. Um, well, I, maybe you guys need your Starbucks fix, okay? But I found one online that was um, just kind of made me chuckle. It is Sunbucks coffee. Anyone a, free, any, anyone a frequent member of Sunbucks? Anybody got Sunbucks points? That just made me laugh because, okay, I get what they're trying to do with the, with the name, but what's with the logo? Is it terrifying to anybody else? Anyone else going to not go to Sunbucks just based on the logo? Starbucks, Sunbucks, it's the same thing, right? There's your coffee knockoff. Here's number nine, toys. Toys, just like I mentioned, I wanted an actual Swiss Army knife, and sometimes you don't get the actual thing. There are toy knockoffs, okay? Um, <laughs> take a look at those. Now, anyone remember uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Well, they have a new style ninja tortoise. For those who are looking to save just a little bit of money, uh, back a few years ago, we had angry birds. That was a big thing. Well, they have ill-tempered birds. In case angry is just a little too aggressive for your, fa for your family, get the ill-tempered birds, and they'll be a slightly less angry. There's also Superman. We all grew up with Superman. Well, now they have Special Man. <laughs> He's not super, but he is special in some ways. And so uh, you can trick your kids that way. And then the last one, I don't even know what's going on there. That lion thing. Um, yeah, it's like, like it's, they're going for a Lion King knockoff, but what's with the Chewbacca knockoff? It's like they're very confused there. So there's some top, there's some toy knockoffs for you. How about this one? 
I, I, I didn't mean to do this, but every top 10, it seems to make it in there, so I'm just going to embrace it, okay? And you guys know that I'm a, a fan of a certain device called the Blackberry. Did you know there is a knockoff called the Blueberry? There is a Blueberry out there, and I don't know exactly where you can buy those, but don't get me the Blueberry. I don't want the Blueberry. Um, it looks kind of like the same, though, I'm sure, from the surface, but uh, yeah, I don't want the Blueberry. I want the actual true Blackberry. Here's number seven. Uh, my son thought this one was fitting because he's a big fan of video games, right? Has the Nintendo Switch. Well, found a couple knockoff video games. We have the Poli Station. And for those who like the Game Boy, we have the Game Child. Uh, gender indeterminate there. So if you're looking to play some video games, there you go. The Poli Station and the Game Child. If your kid unwraps those on Christmas morning, there's going to be a mutiny. Don't do that to your kid. Here's number six. Anyone have a sweet tooth? Any dessert fans out there? Well, anyone like uh, Nutella? Nutella's a big, no? No one likes Nutella? You like Nutella? Okay. My wife loves Nutella. I found this one. Nutmaster. Good old Nutmaster for the win. And then for those Oreo fans, we have the double-filled cream betweens. I just love the title of that one, the double-filled cream betweens. It's literally telling you what, it, what an Oreo is. There's cream in between. Double-filled, though. So there you go. Uh, number five, now some of us are a little bit hair challenged, okay? Just a little bit. And so you can find support if you are struggling with follicles. And uh, let's look at some of these. <laughs> Top ten worst knockoffs number five is whatever is going on there. You just, you just attach a squirrel to your head apparently. And, uh, you're I love the one with the chin strap and the serious look like he's pulling it off. With the profile and the, the fake head there, I don't know what's going on there, but there's some, there's some hair replacements for us. Here's number four, worst knockoffs, is household products. I found some household product knockoffs. You've heard of Arm & Hammer. Well, they have Arm & Hatchet with an actual hatchet in the picture. I don't exactly know what that baking soda does, but I would be terrified by that. We also have crust toothpaste. Uh, I'd be a little worried what that did to my teeth. And then for those who like Olay, Shampoo, we have, okay, shampoo. It's not great, but it'll do the job. It's okay. There, yeah, it's, it's fine, that's right. Here's number three. I'm just going to title this one the confusing ones. Now, there are big-time names out there, okay? We got Google, Facebook, things like that that are kind of ru ruling the world. We have iPhone. Well, I don't know exactly what's going on here, but um, take a look at those pictures. We have Google toilet paper. Now, if you're not freaked out by Google yet, Put it in your bathroom on your toilet paper dispenser, and then you will be. Uh, we got the iPhone shoe or boot. Not exactly sure why. And then we have this most strange one to me, face food restaurant. I don't know exactly what they're serving there, but uh, again, not very appealing by the name. So there's some knockoffs that are just a little confusing. Here's number two. We're in October now. Okay, happy October to everybody. That means what is coming up? Halloween for any Halloween fans out there who are looking for costumes for their kids. We have Pete the Plumber. Good old Pete the Plumber. I grew up playing, playing Pete the Plumber on Nintendo, so. You play Pete the Plumber on, on the Game Child in the Pulley Station. That's right. Here's number two is men's out of space costume. I mean, they're trying. They're trying. Not even outer space. Men's out of space costume. Is that costume tight? Like, I don't know what's... And then my all-time favorite uh, <laughs> Halloween costume knockoff is where's the Spidey dude? Or where's the Stripey dude? Where's the Stripey dude? It doesn't have quite the same ring, does it, as where's Waldo? Where's the Stripey dude? So imagine your kid, he goes up to the first house, she opens the door for the candy, and she says, oh, what are you? And he says, I'm the Stripey dude. From where's the Stripey dude? You guys know that one. Here's my number one top ten worst knockoffs that I just laughed and laughed and laughed at. Now, for those of us who are, we like food, but we're trying to, you know, watch the waistline, they have some butter substitutes. Okay, you like butter. Now, we've all heard the classic one, I can't believe it's not butter, right? Maybe you guys have even used that. That was around a while ago with a Fabio on the commercial. I found some butter substitutes that just made me laugh, and we're going to go in order of ridiculousness. Um, number one is, could it be butter? We're not going to tell you what's in this jar, but it could be butter. You'll have to find out. Right? But it, you want to try that, Joan? Could it be butter? Put that in your baking. 
Joan, what's in this? It could be butter. We're not sure. <laughs> Here's another one. We use this in Michigan. It's called butter. It's not. <laughs> now, when I, we actually use this in Michigan. They had this at Kroger in Michigan, and we actually bought this one time. And I, I just laughed and laughed and laughed because they're not missing any words. Butter, it's not. Not I can't believe it's not butter. It is not butter. I don't know what it is, but it's not butter. And here's my all-time favorite one that I found. Unbelievable. This is not butter. <laughs> Which kind of sounds like a review for the product that somebody wrote, and they just liked how it sounded, so they just went with it. Unbelievable. This is not butter. Oh, boy. So there, that's probably the silliest top ten we've ever had, but there's some uh, cheap knockoffs. And this does set up our lesson, as silly as that sounds, um, because we're talking about the real deal today, okay? We're talking about someone who's genuine, who can't be duplicated or replicated. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles, go to Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20, and we're going to look at the real deal today. We're going to look at the Lord Jesus himself, and hopefully, by this lesson, we will not have any knockoffs in our life. Follow along as I read this passage together. Paul speaking, he said, he speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body of the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. The Supreme One is the title of our lesson today. Last week we looked at the Creator and we looked at the creation. And we discussed how everything good upon this world is to God's credit, and God's glory. And we also discovered last week that we, human beings, mankind, is the most significant part of God's creation. We were made in God's image. No other part of creation can say that. We, man and woman, were made in God's image. And that's a simple lesson, right? I think we looked at Genesis 1. It's pretty easy to understand. God is the creator. We are the creation. Moving on, okay? Moving on, we need to go to a next lesson. Well, not so fast, because... We need one, more than one lesson on this topic because the story continues in the New Testament looking at the creator and the creation. And that's what we're going to do today. And next week we're going to discuss kind of a terrible thing that happened. A terrible thing happened that caused us, God's people, made in his image, to break the world that God put us on. We turned our back on God. We turned our back on his commandments. And the result of submitting to sin instead of submitting to God was an eternal curse from God. And a curse that brought with it eternal condemnation. It's very serious. Due to this curse from God, the earth and all that was in it was going to have to be destroyed. It was that bad in God's eyes. Unless somebody could step in and save us all. We desperately needed a savior. There was no other method. There was no other plan. Either someone could step in and save us all or we were doomed, all of us. Now, Pastor Mel is going to be preaching on the fall next week, the curse from Genesis chapter 3. But today, we're going to simply speak about the Savior, the Lord Jesus. And we're doing that on purpose to lay the groundwork for next week. Because I don't want you going into next week just understanding the problem and just being depressed by that. Because that's not the end of the story, of course. When we discuss the fall, we will have some foreshadowing of the Savior. And that's the point of today. Now, primarily, we want to declare today that Jesus... The only begotten Son of God is the only Savior of the universe. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the Supreme One. And therefore, as Paul said, he should have all the preeminence or supremacy in our lives. I decided to look up the word supreme. Maybe you know what that word means. Maybe you don't. This is what I found. It said, simply superior to all others. Superior to all others. You can line up anybody next to Jesus and they will fall short, dreadfully short of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is superior 
to all others. There is no one close to Jesus Christ. Now, if we can grasp that Jesus is supreme, superior to all others, and if we can understand his value to our souls, then I genuinely believe that we will make the obvious choice to turn to Jesus and follow him with our lives. And we will begin to follow him closely, clearly, significantly, if we only will see him clearly. And that's our goal today, to see Jesus up close, to see him clearly and to make the obvious choice, he should have everything. And the moment we do this, see him clearly for who he is, is the moment we become his new creation. The scriptures actually call Christians new creation. They're so different based on what Jesus has done for us, they're brand new creation. The moment we turn to Jesus with our lives is the moment we become redeemed souls, brought back from sin to be loved by God and to love God for all eternity. And Jesus is the key to our eternal life and our eternal joy. Jesus alone is the one who gives us life and joy with God. So this is going to be part two of our study from last week about looking at the creator and his creation. Only this time we want to focus upon a new creator of a new creation. But interestingly, the new creator is the same one as the old creator. He's the son of God and his name is Jesus. The same person. Now the Apostle Paul is the one who wrote the book of Colossians. And I told you this passage of scripture is one of my absolute favorites. If you're looking for a passage to memorize, go no further than right here. Colossians 1, 15 to 20. Get to know it. Immerse yourself in it. Learn it. Memorize. Tuck it away in your heart. It will do great things for your soul. And this passage of scripture teaches us a few amazing things about our Lord Jesus. Things that are crucial for us to know if we're going to give him the honor, the glory, and the love that he is due. And so we're simply going to look at these verses one by one today. And that's how we're going to do our lesson today. Because they all pack a punch. They're all very significant things. Let's look at number one. Paul, speaking of Jesus, says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. All of Christianity hangs upon this truth right here, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, because God is invisible, and Jesus shows us what he looks like. Now, if somebody ever asked you the question, has anyone ever seen God, what would be the proper answer to that? Well, Scripture says no one has seen God. It says it in John 1.18. No one visibly has ever taken a look at God. Therefore, no is a proper answer. No one has ever seen God. But countless people saw the image of God, Jesus, while he was upon the earth. The one whose scripture just told us is the image of the invisible God. So in a way, yes, people have seen God because they saw his image. They saw Jesus. Now, I've never seen the Eiffel Tower. Have any of you seen the Eiffel Tower up close? Anyone been to France, been to Paris and seen the Eiffel Tower? Okay, Ofer. I've never seen the Eiffel Tower. I don't know if I ever will, but I have seen many images of it. In fact, I could describe to you what the Eiffel Tower looked like because I've seen so many images of it over the course of my life, and I've never been to France. In the same way, I've never laid eyes upon God, neither of you. I've never been to heaven, neither of you. I also never saw Jesus in the flesh upon the earth, and neither did you. However, I see Jesus with the eyes of my soul every single day. And I get to glance upon his life and his teachings from the scriptures as often as I want to. So in a sense, yes, I have seen God because I have dozens of images available to me as often as I want. But images of the Eiffel Tower don't compare with seeing it up close, I'm assuming. And reading scripture also will not compare with seeing God face to face one day in heaven. Therefore, we're going to go deeper today. Okay, we're going to go deeper. Now, to be clear, Jesus is not just like God in the sense that he's a photograph of God. I want to make that very clear. That's not what Paul is saying. Jesus is like a photograph of God. Just like we have photographs of the Eiffel Tower, that's not what he's saying. Because that would demean our Lord Jesus. And we're seeking to do the opposite today. We're seeking to exalt him to the highest position imaginable. The scriptures teach us that Jesus is God. He is God. He represents the perfect likeness of God to this world. Notice what it says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. 
The writer of Hebrews says, He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact representation of his nature. That doesn't just sound like a photograph, does it? He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact representation or imprint of God's nature. Notice that phrasing and marvel at it. Marvel at that phrasing. That is your Savior. That is your Lord. He's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact representation of his nature. Do you think of Jesus that way? Do you think of Jesus that way as your God? Exactly as your God? Because you should. Scripture wants us to. If Jesus was only like God, it would say something less than that. Scripture would not use such terms if he was simply like God. But when the writer of Hebrews says, says Jesus is God's exact imprint, it means that we lose nothing from God when we see Jesus. Nothing. You see Jesus. You see God. You know Jesus. You know God. You love Jesus. You love God. When we look at the life, the teachings, and the miracles, and the signs of power, and the acts of love of Jesus, we see everything that God is. Exactly. If you look at Jesus with eyes of faith, then you will see God up close. That's an amazing truth that this world needs to know. They can see God up close by looking at Jesus. Paul also says that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. What is the meaning here exactly? That's a little confusing. He's the firstborn of all creation. Jesus was not the first person ever born upon the earth, was he? At least chronologically speaking. Jesus was not the first person or man ever born upon the earth. So that can't be what he means. He's the firstborn of all creation. What does that mean? Think about that term for a moment. Paul is also not saying that Jesus is a created being. He is not calling Jesus a created being. Jesus is God. He's just like God. He's the exact imprint of God, meaning Jesus himself is eternal. He's the creator, not the creation. So Paul is not saying that he's part of creation. If you look closely at Paul's phrasing, you will see precisely what he means. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. In a nutshell, Jesus is the director of all creation. As we will learn here soon, he is the one who created the world. He is the one who created it, crafted it uniquely by his own creative will. And all of creation was created for Jesus. It was created by him and for him. Jesus and the gospel message of him dying on the cross was not an afterthought. It was not a plan B from God once he saw sin. Jesus did not pop into God's mind later on. His death and his resurrection is the foundation of the world. God knew, because God is all wise, God knew that his people would choose to sin and choose to rebel from him because he's all wise. And because of that, Jesus was the first thought in God's mind, even before he created the world. Jesus is the reason God could have confidence to make and create mankind, because the Savior would and could save them from their sins when they went astray. Do you notice that? God knew ahead of time what would happen, and he planned for it ahead of time. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. And that might sound strange to hear, but we need, we need to remember that God does everything for the purpose of his own glory. His own glory. Okay, if God desires to make a people for himself and then save those people at the cost of his own son's blood, we have to believe that that plan must accomplish a large amount for the glory of God. There's no other reason to do it. It must accomplish so much glory, it must be beyond our ability to fathom it. The gospel is primarily about God, not about man. Primarily. And this makes the gospel plan worthwhile in both Jesus' eyes and God's eyes because Jesus also came to this earth for the glory of God. So this means that Jesus is both the foundation of the world as well as the director of the world. He is everything to God and therefore should be everything to us because our very lives, our very souls, this very world is founded upon the fact that Jesus could and would save us from our sins. 
And the first thing we should do today is marvel at the majesty and the glory of God. God thought of Jesus before he did anything. This world came into existence because Jesus. Because Jesus. Paul goes on to say, For by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Do you notice that? Isn't that powerful? In case we missed it, Paul wants to clear things up by telling us that Jesus is the creator of everything. Everything. Everything good owes its creation to Jesus. Now, we mentioned last week that God is the creator of everything. Are we getting confused here? Because God is the creator of everything. But we need to remember Jesus is God, okay? In every way imaginable, he is the exact imprint of his nature. So when it says that God created the world and that Jesus created the world, both are true. It's not a contradiction. God did create the world. God the Father even created the world. God the Son created the world and everything in it. So Jesus is our creator. He's our creator. He's not just our savior. He's our creator. He's our foundation. And not just of the world. He's the creator of everything. He created everything that is visible to our eyes. And all that is visible to our eyes is so large, our brain can't even see it all or understand it all. But not only that, Jesus is also the creator of all that is invisible. Wow. He's the creator of the visible and the invisible. Now, in space, with modern technology, we can see a pretty large area of space. Okay? If you ever look that up and see what is the known universe and what is the size of the known universe, it will boggle your mind. The size is so big. The area that we know about space with the telescopes and the satellites that we have is beyond comprehension. It's so big. In fact, the size of the known universe is so big it makes my brain hurt to think about it. Because my brain is too small to grasp such a size. My mind cannot compute the size of the known universe. And yet that's only the peak of the mountain. Because we can only see one small fraction of space. There's a whole bunch of space that we have never laid eyes on. It's the amount of space beyond what we can see. And it's seemingly infinite. It goes on and on and on and on and on. It's invisible to our eyes, but it's there. The invisible is infinitely bigger than the visible, or so it seems. It's the same with the oceans. They seem big, of course, to us, but we've been exploring the oceans for thousands of years. Therefore, we should have a pretty decent understanding of what's in the oceans, correct? But we don't at all. Because most of the oceans are unexplorable to mankind. They are simply too big and too deep and too vast to explore. We've explored much, and yet there's so much more we have never laid eyes on in the oceans. We are too small and too incapable to explore the depths of the depths and the vastness of space. But even though it's invisible to our eyes, it's there. And that's just the physical realm that we're speaking of. There's a whole different realm called the spiritual realm that we cannot see. It's impossible to see with physical eyes. It's beyond our physical senses to see it and to know it and to understand it. But the scriptures speak about it often. It's spiritual. It exists and it's magnificent. There exist thrones and dominions and rulers and principalities in the spiritual realm that go completely unnoticed to mankind. They're happening right now and we can't tell, we can't see it. But they exist, just like we exist. And just like us, they owe their very existence to the Lord Jesus, their creator. He is their creator as well. And not only everything both visible and invisible was created by our Lord Jesus, Paul tells us plainly that everything was created for 
our Lord Jesus. Everything. Now in a couple months we'll have Christmas, and maybe you guys have heard the term people bring up at Christmas time. Jesus is the reason for the season. You ever heard that? Jesus is the reason for the season, trying to emphasize how important he is for such a time as Christmas. And Paul is basically telling us today, Jesus is the reason for literally everything. Everything. Everything you do, everything you think, everything you have, that is good, not evil, owes its credit and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything. Now, we like to think that because Jesus is God's son, that he's subservient to God the Father, which he is. And he gladly is, and he always will be. However, being the son of God, teamed with being the creator of the world, teamed with being the only savior of the world, comes with very special privileges. And one of those privileges is that, is that everything in the universe belongs to Jesus Christ. He owns us. He owns us. We are his. God went forward with creation knowing that he would give everything to his son. If his son went through with God's plan, God would make him the singular heir of everything. The inheritance of God, and imagine what that must look like. God's stuff. Imagine what that must look like is reserved entirely for Jesus. It's all his. Everything. Because Jesus came down and he stepped on the cross and he gave his blood and his body for our sins so that God could redeem his people back to himself. Because of that sacrifice, Jesus gets to be king of kings, lord of lords, and the full and complete heir of every heavenly treasure. Everyone. Not to mention all the praise, all the worship, and all the adoration of every creature in heaven which we cannot even know about will also receive, or give praise, excuse me, to the Lord Jesus Christ. It all belongs to Jesus, all of it. We have to grasp this, because if we see Jesus as anything less than everything, we won't follow him the way he's supposed to be followed. He is everything. This is one of the most important truths that we can know, because this means that our lives on this earth are not our own. We don't belong to ourselves. We aren't the captain of our own ship. Jesus is. In 1 Corinthians 6.20, Paul says, We were bought with a price, a very hefty price. But now that he paid for us, he owns us. He spilt his blood so that we could have redemption, forgiveness of sins, and a relationship with God for all eternity. And that means we belong to Jesus, whether we admit it and believe it or not. The only remaining thing that currently belongs to you and I is our free will. That's it. Which Jesus gave us. He gave us that free will. If we bow that free will to Jesus, we will receive eternal life because Jesus is the Savior, the only Savior. And because he has the keys to the gates of heaven. If you bow that free will to Jesus, he will open those gates for you. And if you bend that free will away from Jesus, we will receive eternal destruction because Jesus is the only Savior and he's the only one that has keys to the gates of the kingdom of heaven. And he also has the keys to the gates of hell. Meaning Jesus says who lives and who dies. He's the gatekeeper because he's the one who spilled his blood to become the Savior. And God gave him everything. Now this is gospel truth today, okay? It is gospel truth because Jesus is everything to God. God is telling us today Jesus is everything. To him, to God. And he's also everything to heaven, and either we get on board with giving Jesus everything or God will want nothing to do with us forever. Nothing. Because God the Father is the one who made Jesus the singular heir of all eternity because he spilled his blood to accomplish the glory of God. Moving on, Paul says in verse 17, He is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, 
the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Jesus is before all things in both position and rank. He's the captain. He's the master. He comes before all beings in all areas. All things consist in Jesus. Hebrews 1.3 says, He upholds the universe by the word of his power. I just have to marvel at that statement. It always makes me, again, it just makes my brain hurt to think about that. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. We exist today. We consist today. We keep going today because Jesus says so. And that's the only reason. John 1.3 says, All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Do you notice the phrase, the term nothing? Nothing was made that was made unless it was made by Jesus. Everything consists in Jesus and by Jesus. Do you believe this? Do you know this about your Lord Jesus? He alone sustains and governs both heaven and the earth. All things consist in him. Nothing exists today without him. If Jesus doesn't say so, none of us are here. He's the king of kings and all of creation bows to his sovereign will. And if they don't, they're going to pay a very steep consequence. Nobody has the right to say no to the king of kings. Nobody. Paul says he's also the head of the church. Who's the head of the church? Jesus is the head of the church. The Pope is not the head of the church. Scripture says otherwise. Jesus is the head of the church. Pastor Todd, Pastor Miller, not the head of Wyoming Valley Church. Scripture says otherwise. Jesus is the only head of the church. Either the church bows to Jesus or they are not the church. The church is Jesus' church to make it whatever he desires it to be because he is the one who spilled his blood to purchase the church in full. He owns the church. If we don't submit to Jesus alone, then we're not the church because he is the head of the church. Now, today we can and we do call anything the church. We do. That church is thrown around so many times. You just set up a building, you put some people in it, and you do whatever you want, and you call it the church. But that's not what makes the church the church. What makes the church the church is bowing and submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ in everything. No submission to Jesus, no church, and no salvation. He is everything, or he is nothing. He's the beginning of the church. He's the firstborn of the church. He's the head of the church. He's the savior of the church. Jesus is the author, sustainer, and protector of the church. Without Jesus, there is no church, and there is no people for God. Are we noticing a pattern? Paul says that in all things, he must have the preeminence or be the supreme one in all things. Do you notice that? In all things, Jesus is to be the supreme one. Now think about your life for a moment. Is he, in all things, the supreme one? Because he's supposed to be. God declared it to be so. He's to have no rivals, no equals, no imitations, no threats to his throne, and no disobedience to his will. And if he does, God the Father has told us that he will avenge his son because God made Jesus the singular head and heir of everything, including the church. Finally, Paul says, for it was the Father's good pleasure. Listen again to the terms. It was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. I'm going to read that again. It was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Jesus and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him I say whether things on earth or things in heaven. Now we've already mentioned that Jesus is pretty special in God's eyes. 
But Paul wants to cement that truth even further in our minds. So he tells us that God, the Father, God the Father, God of everything, found much pleasure by giving Jesus, his Son, the fullness of God. The absolute fullness of God. It pleased God to do so. See, Jesus is God, but he's also God's willing servant. Did you know that? That Jesus also serves God just like we do? He's also God's loving son, which means he's technically subservient to God the Father. He is technically ranked below God the Father. It is true. And even if Jesus admits this, he says this in John 20, verse 17, Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and to your Father and my God and your God. So Jesus has a God. He is God, but he also has a God, just like you and I have a God. Jesus gladly places himself underneath his Father and even calls him my God. But Paul tells us that God exalted Jesus and gave Jesus his fullness. And not only did God give Jesus his fullness, but it pleased him greatly to do so. Now, it's tempting, I know, it's tempting to get nervous giving Jesus so much credit, so much praise, and so much love in Christianity, thinking that by doing so, we're not giving God the Father enough credit, enough praise, and enough love. And I've actually thought that myself. Been a little nervous that I'm making too much of Jesus and not enough of God the Father. But we need to remember this. God the Father is the one who made it this way. God the Father is the one who gave Jesus everything. He delights when Jesus is given the fullness of credit, the fullness of praise, and the fullness of his love. God decided it should be that way. God did. So don't get nervous making too much of Jesus. God stamped it that way. Look at what it says in Philippians 2. Therefore, listen, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those of the earth, of those under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God has highly exalted his son Jesus. God has highly exalted him to the place that there is no one higher. There is no one greater. He gave him the name that is above every name, and he did it to the glory of the Father. Because of this, let me explain this. This is why. When we give Jesus our fullness, we also give God the Father our fullness. Did you know that? You don't have to go 50-50. You give 100% to Jesus, and by doing so, you give 100% to God himself because they're so perfectly connected. Nobody loves Jesus like God the Father loves Jesus. Nobody. And I'm going to illustrate that, okay? I love my wife. I hope you know that. I hope you can see that. I really love my wife, Janine. So much so that when people praise my wife, it makes me happy. I cannot ever think of a time that people praised my wife and I felt icky about that because they weren't praising me enough. I can't think of one time that ever happened. For example, you guys know my parents. My parents, I believe, love my wife like she is their true daughter. I've seen it. And I'm convinced that my mom thinks more about my wife than she does of me. I've also seen it. Probably. She fellowships with her. I think that's the reason. And honestly, in my heart of hearts, I'm happy knowing that. I am happy knowing that. Because when my, my wife is loved, I am loved. When my wife is praised, it brings me praise because Janine is mine. When my wife is highly thought of, I am highly thought of because Janine calls me her husband. Do you notice it? When Jesus is praised, God too is praised. Jesus is God's son. It was God's plan of saving the world through Jesus. When Jesus is therefore declared and exalted like we're doing today, God's will is declared and exalted. When Jesus is loved, God the Father is loved because he gave Jesus his fullness. And because he exalted Jesus to the highest position imaginable, King of kings 
and Lord of Lords. So God declares to us today that through Jesus, he reconciles all sinful beings back to himself. If you get back into a right relationship with God, the only way you can do that is through Jesus. If you don't come through Jesus, you don't come at all. God won't even hear your prayers. Did you know that? Without Jesus. The axis is shut if you don't have Jesus. But if you come in Jesus' name, the axis is wide open. That's how important Jesus is. Through Jesus, God makes sinners righteous. Through Jesus alone. You find Jesus, you find righteousness. Full righteousness in God's eyes. Through Jesus, God brings sinners home to his family and his kingdom. Through Jesus, God makes peace with sinners. Think about that. You can have peace today with God because you love his son. It's that simple. Through Jesus, God accomplishes his, his will. Through Jesus and only through Jesus is anything good coming out of this cursed, sin-stained world. It's only and always through Jesus. Are you beginning to see how vital Jesus is to our souls? Is he vital to your soul yet? And I don't mean he's brought up every now and then or you wear a cross around your neck. Is he absolutely everything to your soul? He's everything to earth. He's everything to heaven. He's everything to God, the Father. He's the one who hung on a cross for our sins. That same one. The same one who governs and sustains and creates Everything, the one who is the singular heir of everything, the one who is exalted to the highest position of everything, the one that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, is everything. He's the one who died for your sins. He's the one who spilled his blood so that you could have life with God. That same Jesus. When he died on the cross, the sky went dark because the sun wasn't shining, the sun was dying. And Jesus proved once and for all when he raised from the grave three days later, I am everything. Even death can't hold me down. If we believe this today and we can see this today, the application for this lesson is quite simple. I'm going to give you five things, but really they're all the same thing, just mentioned in different ways. Okay, number one, see Jesus as everything. Don't see him any less than everything. He is the greatest person or thing that we can ever know, and there is no true rival to Jesus. There is no knockoff. You either have Jesus or you have nothing. You either have everything or you have nothing. See him as everything. Number two, adore Jesus with everything. Let him hear your praise often. Sing about him, praise him, tell people about him, exalt him, lift him up, praise his name as often as you can. He is to hear from you all the time. Give Jesus everything. He's going to say that to us in a matter of weeks. He's going to say, surrender your life to me. Because in me and only in me will you find your purpose. You have no purpose on this life unless you find Jesus. Because when you find Jesus, you find everything. You find every purpose that you could possibly have. Number four, submit to Jesus with everything. Remember that this is God's will for your life. You don't have to ask, what should I be doing with my life? What is God's will for my life? Jesus is God's will for your life. God just told you. If you want to do what God wants you to do, if you want to please God, submit your life to Jesus. And you will please God. Number five is love Jesus above everything. Love him. Love him. Find all joy in loving the one who first loved you and spilled his blood for you. You don't have to be coerced into loving someone who loves you so intensely, so immensely, so profoundly. I hope that's a natural love to give back to the Lord. Why would I not love the Lord Jesus? He's given me everything. I'm everything because of him, and I'm nothing without him. I hope and I pray that you've seen the Supreme One today. It's been fast. It's been a lot. But hopefully it's been helpful for your soul to the glory of God because only God could allow us to behold the beauty and value of Jesus to our souls. Only God could let us see that today.
We as God's creation have gazed upon our creator. His name is Jesus. And he's also your savior. And our job now is a very simple one. We need to line up right behind Jesus and give him our fullness because God gave him his fullness. And he's commanding and demanding that we do the same. See, everything else, if you get the knockoff for Jesus Christ, and there is no knockoff, everything else is pitifully worse. It's going to disappoint, it's going to deceive, and worst of all, it's going to damn you. If you don't have the true Jesus, you are hopeless. Now, next week, we're going to look at sort of a serious topic. We're going to look at how we broke the world because we did break the world. But I want you to remember as we head into that lesson, Jesus is the Savior of the world. We broke it. Jesus came to save it and to fix it. Amen. And there is hope today purely because Jesus gave us hope. That's the only reason. And therefore, he is worthy to receive all of us. And I'm using the terms the Bible uses, all of us. Give him your entire life today. And I want us to begin this process by doing one simple thing. Don't just say, I'm going to. I want you to set the bar in your lives right there, as high as you possibly can, and say it this way. If it pleases the Lord, I should do it. If it displeases the Lord, I shouldn't do it. Put the bar right there. That's exactly where the bar should be. Give him everything. Give him your all. Make that the standard. If it pleases the Lord, I should do it. If it displeases the Lord, I should not do it. Because he's everything. And I will say this today. If you are sitting in this audience today and you don't know Jesus, you don't have Jesus, you don't know what I'm talking about today, you haven't sensed that, you haven't seen that in your life as the supreme one, valuable to your soul to such a level, then I want you to make a meeting with me and come talk to me because that's the point. Because when you find Jesus, you find everything. And when you have Jesus and you have everything, you will know it. You will know it. If you're confused, if you don't know if that's ever happened to you, come speak to me. We would love to guide you into how you can know that your sins are atoned for and forgiven, that you can have eternal life with God by giving your life to Jesus. Can we bow and pray? Father, I thank you for this lesson today. It's been profoundly helpful for my soul, and I can only pray that it would be the same for those sitting here today. And Father, Father maybe this is a hearty reminder of what we've already known, but Father, maybe this is the first time we've grappled with such truths, and we realized how important Jesus is to our souls. I pray that from this moment on, Jesus would become more to us than he is up to this point. That we would set the bar very, very high in our lives and say he gets everything. He's everything, then he gets everything. Father, you would be glorified by such an endeavor, by such strivings. And I pray today that Wyoming Valley Church will increase, will multiply, Father, based on the fact that Jesus is our everything. We give you all credit and glory for this lesson and this truth. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.